My side, a warm welcome to everyone here today, everyone in the building, everyone online. We're so glad that you are with us today for the second part of our series, The F Word. There's some words we don't mention in church, right? And that is the series we're busy with. It is a word most of us, a lot of us prefer not to hear in the church, and that F word is finances or money. But um, we believe that there is a way to view finances that often we grow up with that view because of what's going on in the world that's unhealthy. And there's a way to view finances that's different to the way the world might teach. That's the way of Jesus, the way Jesus taught that is healthy. And that's what we're talking about in this series. But before we get into today's topic, let's first pray together. Jesus, thank you that you are a God who will give everything to come after us. You don't just want a bit of us. You want our whole life. You want everything we are. And I pray this morning, God, as we listen to your word, as we hear this message, that it will touch our lives, that it will change our hearts, and that every aspect of our lives will be surrendered to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, in, on the 27th of March, so that's in about, what, two or three weeks, I will be married for 11 years. Now, thank you. Um, last year, our wedding anniversary was in the middle of lockdown. We're just not in the middle, right at the beginning of it. We had this plan to go camping, and it fell through because lockdown started. But anyway, 11 and a half years ago, about 12 years ago, I was a student. I, had, I didn't have a lot of money. But as a student working part-time, still living in my parents' house, I had more than enough for what I needed to do. But I met this girl, and I wanted to marry her, and her name was Yulandi. And I had to buy an engagement ring. So I didn't really have a lot of money to buy for, for what engagement ring cost. So something amazing happened is I worked hard. I got an academic bursary, it covered my studies, I had a bit of money left, and I decided that money can plug a lot of holes, but instead of plugging holes, I'm going to buy a diamond with it. Still didn't have money for the gold, I still didn't have money to make the ring, but at least I could buy a diamond. But guys, I, for the next couple of months, I saved every cent I could save to make you Lundy. A wedding ring. First an engagement ring, and then I had to add on the wedding bands. It was also a bunch of money. And every time, like, I would take my savings, and by the way, if you're a giver, this is like, Louis, what's the big deal? I do this all the time. I just give my money away and make people stuff. I'm a saver. I save. So every time I had to take money out of my bank account and give it to the guy who made the ring, it felt like a little bit of a sting. But, but... I didn't think about all the stuff I could buy. I didn't think about how this money would grow if it, with compound interest. The only thing I could think of was Yulandi. And the only thing I could think of is I wanted to give her the best ring I could afford. I don't want to give her the cheapest ring I could buy. I wanted to give her the best one I could afford. And have you ever had something like that in your life where... Your money just naturally flows to it because you care about it so much. Maybe it is a husband, maybe it is a wife or a fiancé or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. By the way, before that wedding ring, 
I didn't buy people big presents. I grew up in a house where if it was our birthday, it wasn't strange to get a packet of handkerchiefs. Okay, my parents aren't big on birthday, birthdays. Yolani's parents are different. It's like the whole week we celebrate. So I didn't buy a lot of big presents. So this wasn't normal to me. But I cared about her so much, I wanted to give her the best. And maybe you're like that. Maybe you have a car that you care about so much that you're spending all your extra cash on making that car look beautiful. Maybe it's the interior of your house. And if you've got a bit of money saved up, you buy a new couch or you buy some kind of accessory to make it look better, um, to bring it into the 21st century. Maybe it's clothes, or if you're a lady, maybe it's shoes. And every extra bit of money you have, you put into a new pair of shoes. Maybe it's a computer or computer games. Maybe it is your children. Guys, there is a reason why if you buy anything in this size, it will be like five rand. But if the name baby is on that, it's like 500 rand. People know that if you've got a baby coming, your heart is just like jelly and you will buy whatever you can because your heart is so full of love for this tiny human being. And they take advantage of it. But money has a natural flow. Money flows out of our pockets towards the things we value most, the things we care about most. And Jesus even said this in Matthew 6 verse 21. Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart will also be. And you might be like, but Louis, that's the other way around. If I put my money into something, then my heart will be there. I want to be like, no, no, it is a loop. You see, because if someone extorts money out of you, if they blackmail you and you give them money, suddenly your heart is not going to be with them. Oh, I love this person so much, they're blackmailing me. No, that's not going to happen, right? You put your money where your heart is already at. You care about something, so you put your money into that. I care about my wife, so I bought her a nice engagement ring. But now I've put my money into it, so what does it mean? Now I've raised the value of that thing in my mind, so now my, my heart is even more with that thing. So I put more money into it, so my heart is more with it, so I put more money in, and it's like this spiral that can be healthy or it can be bad. It can be good or it can be bad. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. Gavin, and I have no screen at the front, so you just have to do the slides, please. Our second topic in the series, the F word, our F word for today is the word flow. Go with the flow. Go with the flow. There's a healthy flow of money and there's an unhealthy flow of money. There's a way that money flows out of our life that is unhealthy. That's not the way God wants it. And there is a healthy flow of money, the way that God would like to see money flowing out of our lives. And I think I speak for all of us if I say we've got the intention to use money for good. We've got the intention to be generous because just last week, Milo said, God loves a cheerful giver. Not Milo said that the Bible says that he just preached about it, right? God loves a cheerful giver. We read that he blesses us when we give. But giving can be so hard, especially if you're a saver. So what we're going to do today is we're going to read from 2 Corinthians 8. If you've got your Bibles, you can open to 2 Corinthians 8. Last week, Mala said we're going to be spending time for three weeks in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Now, if you want to find two chapters in the Bible that speaks about money, it's 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Throughout the Bible, actually quite a lot in the Bible, we get like these verses scattered throughout the Bible that talks about finances. But 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, two chapters that Paul devoted to finances, to money. 
And I want you to see today, Paul is talking about two churches, the Macedonian church and the Corinthian church. And one had a healthy flow of money, one had an unhealthy flow of money, and we're going to look into that and see why that is and how we can get into a healthy place. So we're going to read 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 to 9. But let me just give a bit of background, sorry, before we read this. The church in Jerusalem was suffering. People were really poor. They were struggling. They didn't have money to eat. So Paul was raising money at the other churches they planted for this church in Jerusalem so that they could take care of the people. And then there was the Macedonian church who already gave, and there was the Corinthian church. Corinth was a beautiful city. It had two ports. It was a wealthy city. They had a lot of money. They gave a bit of money, and they made a promise to give even more. But something happened. They didn't follow through on the promise. And that is why Paul wrote these two chapters to the Corinthian church. So let's read 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters... We want you in the Corinthian church to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us. They begged us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectation. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So it's like, it's time for you to finish this process. You made the promise, put your money where your mouth is. And then he says this, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's what we're going to read. We've got two, two groups. We've got the Macedonian church, and we've got the church in Corinth. And they are literally like two opposites. Paul says, the Macedonian churches were begging me to give. They started giving. They kept giving. I was like, whoa, guys, chill out a bit. You're giving too much. They're like, no, no, seriously, dude, we want to give. They were pleading with me to give, he said. And then we've got the church in Corinth, and he's like, come on, guys. I have to plead with you to give. Just give a bit. You've got enough. Let's give. But they're basically the two opposite groups. And why was it easy for the one group to be generous while the other group struggled to be generous? Just because God loves and blesses a person who gives doesn't mean that we all like to be generous. Clearly, the church in Corinth were blessed financially, but still they struggled to give. And I wanted to look at a couple of reasons why we struggle to be generous from the story. We see a couple of reasons. One, difficult times. The Macedonian church are going through a difficult time. I think difficulty is sometimes a reason why we struggle to be generous. I'm like, you know, we're going through this COVID thing. I'm not sure if my work is secure or, you know, I've been facing an illness in my life or there's some kind of challenge that I'm facing, a difficulty in my life. Once the difficulty passes, then I will be able to give. But as long as it's difficult in my life, I, 
I can't actually do this because I first need to get my ducks in a row. I first need to make sure that all of this passes. The second reason why we sometimes struggle is because of poverty. Now, I'm not going to ask your hand. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're poor today. But I did want to show you something. The University of, of Cape Town, they've got the South African Labor and Development Research Unit. So if I said, who's poor, I think a lot of you would raise your hands. If I ask you who's rich, none of you would probably raise your hands. But this is what, what they found in a huge study. According to the data, to be amongst the richest 1% of South Africans, 1%, you need to earn a household income of 48,000 rand a month after taxes. Now, there's some of you that's already in that bracket. Some of you are like, I'm definitely not in the 1%, but some of you in this room, some of you listening online are already in that bracket, the 1%. Then, they say to be in the top 10%. If I'm like, who's in the top 10%? You're probably going to be not, like, not me. I don't have one of the big houses. I don't have one of the fancy cars. In order to be in the top 10 richest in South Africa, the top the 10%, you need a take-home pay of 7,300 rand a month after taxes. Okay, now suddenly I'm like, who's poor? You're in the top 10%, most of you. The middle road income, separating the top half and the bottom half, is just 1,150 rand a month. If you earn more than 1,150, you're in the top 50% in South Africa. Now I'm like, who's rich and who's poor? Paul says, the Macedonian church, the Greek word there is deep poverty. The NIV translated it as extreme poverty. These guys were actually poor. They didn't think they're poor. They didn't look at the Corinthian church and they're like, you drive all the X5s. You know, we've got the old 1986 Jetta. No, no, they don't even look at them. They just have extreme poverty. But yet they were giving. But we always feel like we're poor, and I think most of us probably feel like we don't have enough, and, like, and as if we feel like we're poor. Why? And I think it's because of a Western, individualistic, consumer-driven, materialistic mindset. Individualism means that it's all about me. The world teaches me that I am first. It's survival of the fittest. I take care of myself first, so all my money goes to me. Materialism... It's all about the physical stuff I have. And look at all the other people around me and the stuff they have. I don't have the same, so I'm behind. It's interesting that we always compare ourselves to people who's got more than us and never to people who's got less than us, right? Consumerism, we watch TV, we watch movies, we read magazines that is designed to tell you one thing. You do not have enough if you do not have this one product. Because of that, we get to a place where we are all poor, not because of what we earn. We are poor because we don't have the ability to give. Because last week, Milo said this, that abundance is not measured by how much we have, but by how much we give. That's the biblical principle. God blesses us to be a blessing. So we're not rich because we have a huge bank account or because, because we earn a huge salary. We are rich when we've got the ability to be generous, when we've got the ability to make a difference in the broken world. So we're all poor, but not because of our income, because of our mindset. 
And then the third reason why we read, so those two were reasons that the Macedonian church faced, but they didn't act on them. But then the Corinthian church faced another issue, and that was maybe later. That's probably the most common thing I've heard in church. I will give later. When I have a salary increase, when I earn more, when I finally paid off my house, when I bought a car, when I've done this. And you know what, what statistics across the world show is the more money people have, guess what? The more they give? Nope. The more they hold on to their money. People with a lower income are more generous than people with a higher income. The Corinthian church had enough, and they gave a bid, and they said, we will give later, and the later just didn't come. They got the salary increases, but instead of giving, they bought themselves a new car. They started an extra business, and instead of giving, they bought more expensive food. And these are reasons that we often use for not giving. While the Macedonian churches, that's a church in Philippi, the book of Philippians. That, the, that is the church in Thessalonica. That's the church in Berea. While their pockets were empty, Paul said they have extreme poverty. Why? Because they were being persecuted for, for guess what? The faith in Jesus. Because they believed in Jesus, the Romans and the Jews persecuted them, took their money, took their belongings, took their houses, killed them, and they were left in extreme poverty. So that was actual poverty. They were suffering through extremely difficult circumstances, worse than COVID-19, because you can't put a mask on when someone wants to kill you. It's not going to change your situation, right? Still, although the pockets were empty, their hearts were full. Paul says they were overflowing in joy. I'm like, how on earth can you overflow with joy? Do you know what the word overflow means? I've got so much joy that I can't contain it. It flows out of me. And can I use this word? It infects everyone around me. It is viral. People start being filled with joy. I'm like, how are you supposed to be filled with joy when you live in extreme poverty? How are you supposed to be filled with joy when people are killing you for your faith, when you're being persecuted. But their hearts were full. They saw it as a privilege to give. They begged him to give more. And when I read the story, it's so easy to think that Paul is trying to make the Corinthian church feel bad. He's like, you look at those guys. They are so good. And you look at you. You're so bad. Why? I'm comparing you so that you will feel bad, so that you will give more. But Paul is not giving them this illustration to make them feel bad. In fact, he tells them, I don't want to command you, so I don't want you to give just because I'm telling you to give. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to trick you. He says, I don't want you to give grudgingly in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 5. So I'm not going to force it out of you by making you feel guilty or by showing you pictures of hungry children in Africa. I don't want you to give reluctantly, so with a heavy heart, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, or under compulsion. So he's like, I'm not telling you this to make you feel bad. I'm not telling you this to make you feel like you have to give, but you actually don't want to. He's telling them something because he wants to show them what the actual problem is. We give grudgingly. We give with a heavy heart. We're generous, but not really, and we feel so horrible about it because giving against the flow leads to a heavy heart. You see, God designed money to flow in a generous way, in a natural way out of us. And when we don't give according to the flow, we will give with a heavy heart. 
the Corinthians had the wrong heart. That's why they struggled to give. And I want to tell you today that if you are someone, maybe you're watching online and you don't go to church because your excuse is churches always talk about money. We actually don't. We maybe should talk about it more because Jesus said one of the number one competitors for our heart is what? Money. He says you can't serve two bosses, God and money. It's one of the number one competitors for our heart. But if you're one of those people who say like, I don't want to go to church because they talk about money. I don't want to hear about the F word. I want to tell you the problem is not the difficulty you're facing. The problem is not the poverty you're in. The problem is not your giving. The problem is your heart. That's what we struggle with. Because we have a wrong view of generosity and giving. We've got an unhealthy view. We give against the flow of how God wants us to give. And that's why our hearts are so heavy. Paul uses this Macedonian church. And he's trying to teach us that liberality in giving has nothing to do with your income. It's got nothing to do with your bank account, with the number with the amount of zeros on your paycheck or the amount of zeros in your bank account, generosity and giving has everything to do with your heart. This Macedonian church in verse 4, they saw it as serving God's kingdom. Giving was, was a privilege because they got to take care of people in need. They got to make a difference in the church, in the kingdom of God. But for the Corinthian church, Paul wanted to change their hearts. It's like, I want you to see it as a privilege as well. In 2 Corinthians um, 8 verse 12, he says that the gift is acceptable if it's willing. God doesn't care about the amount you give. If you give it unwillingly, God is like, I don't want it. Remember, we serve the God of the universe. Everything the Bible says belongs to Him. He doesn't need our money. He gives us the opportunity to serve Him with our gifts, with our talents, with our treasure. And Paul is like, you Corinthians, God doesn't want your money, and the church doesn't need your help with money that you give, but your heart is not in it. God wants you to be, give willingly. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, we heard that last week, God loves a cheerful giver. God wants you to be overflowing with joy when you give. Jesus actually spoke about this in Acts 20, verse 35. He said these words, It's better to give than to receive. Because for someone like my wife, that makes sense. She's a giver. She will just give everything we own away if I don't handcuff her every, day, every time we get home. I am a saver. I want to hold on to my stuff. I've got a bunch of antique furniture. I've worked very hard to restore them. I'm like, leave my stuff alone. So when I look at all of this, I'm like, giving is, is serving God's kingdom. I should be willing. I should be cheerful. It's better to give. I'm like, how on earth am I supposed to feel that way? It feels like I'm losing out big time the whole time I'm giving. I'm the one drawing the short stream, string. I am losing. How is this supposed to be good? And it starts with the heart. That's how it turns from a bad flow, an unhealthy view, how it turns from giving grudgingly to becoming a beautiful thing. In verse 5, Paul writes this random sentence. <clears throat> he says this church, they gave, they begged us to give. And then he says in verse 5 that they were able to give because they first gave themselves to God. He says they gave themselves to God and then to us, to the people in need. 
You see, so something happened. Before the generosity, there was a step that needed to happen. These guys weren't Christian before. They were in heathen cities, cities that didn't know Jesus. Paul planted churches. They got to know Jesus, and then they started being generous. So it's not like they were generous all their life, like they had the gift of giving, and they were just like, let's, let's live in poverty and give everything away. There weren't people like that. Paul said something changed in them, and the change is that they first gave themselves to Jesus. You see, we've got an issue, and that is that we always compare ourselves to others and to the way the world says we should do things. And I want to tell you, as long as we compare ourselves to what the world says, and as long as we compare ourselves to the people in the world, we will never have a healthy view of money. Because there's an unhealthy view of money in the world that I want to gather more and more, that I want to put more in my own pocket, that I don't want to help people. There's an unhealthy view of money that I should always outperform someone else. We can't help it. It's built into our competition, right? But these people, instead of comparing them to everyone around them, they compared themselves to Jesus. A healthy view and flow of money will never come from adopting the view of the world. It comes from adopting the view of Jesus and comparing ourselves to Him. They didn't give because they were so good at giving. They gave because they knew Jesus. And then he explains this to the Corinthian church because he's like, you guys are struggling because maybe some of you didn't take step one. So in verse 9, he, he gives them all this info of what this is actually about. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, the word grace comes up in 2 Corinthians 8 to 9 more than eight times, and six out of the eight times he says it's the grace of giving. It is amazing to give. And only two times he uses grace for God. And this time he uses it and he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. See, so he's saying Jesus had everything in heaven. He lived in God's perfect paradise. And Jesus gave all of that up to walk in the dusty streets of planet earth to walk through the coughs of other people, to touch those with skin diseases, to wash the feet of people. By the way, the only people who were allowed to wash someone else's feet were the lowest of the low slaves because if you touched feet, you were seen as unholy. Jesus gave everything up. And if you're like, Louis, that's still not everything. I know it's not everything. Jesus gave everything up. So finally, when he was about 33 years old, he walked to a cross willingly, and he gave up his life. The biggest sacrifice, the biggest giving that anyone could ever give is Jesus gave his life so that we can be rich. And this is not just talking about financial rich, riches, because I can tell you there's a lot of people with a lot of money in the world, but they have no real wealth. They are unhappy. Their lives are broken. They it's falling apart. God came to give, give us life, to bless us, to give us abundance in every aspect of life, in my family life, in my joy, in my peace, in my hope, and as a bonus, sometimes in my finances. But you only have to go through life once to realize that money is not all life is about. But Jesus gave it all so that we can have it all. 
And what it is telling the Corinthian church is that cheerful giving flows naturally from a heart that received more than it can ever give. If you're like, I'm struggling to give, I'm like, then you need to take the first step and meet Jesus first. Because once you've had an encounter with the God that doesn't ask everything for you, from you, but the God who gave everything for you, once you've met Him, once you realize who He is, you will understand that I can naturally give everything I have, my time, my talents, my treasures. I can be generous. I can help people. I can make a difference in the world, not because I'm so good, but because He's been so good to me. It says that the Macedonian church gave beyond their ability. This doesn't necessarily mean that they were reckless. The Bible teaches us that we shouldn't be reckless with our money. But they said, this is what I can comfortably give away. And then they said, but we can add on to this. And it's not comfortable, but because we love God, because we trust Him, because we have this, this insane level of trust, we rely on God's provision. You see, when we give something to God, we don't lose, we gain. And I think that's the thing we miss. We feel like I'm a saver. So I'm like, when I'm giving away, I'm losing. But when we're giving to God's kingdom, we're gaining. There's a verse in Proverbs, I just thought about that, we spoke about that on Wednesday in our community groups as well, that says if we help someone in need, it's like a loan we give to God. So God is like, I see every time you give, and I write it down, and I'm going to repay to you. That's actually in the Bible. How crazy is that? We don't lose when we are generous. We gain. They gain the privilege of being involved in the greatest work the world has ever seen. It's not Google. The greatest work is not Facebook. The greatest work is not just a food scheme somewhere. The greatest work in this world is introducing people to Jesus. And with that comes all the other things we do to make a difference in the world. And they said it is such a privilege because we get to be a part of this. They had sheer joy of giving. Can you imagine every time you give and your heart just fills up? It's like you gain something, you gain joy. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 2, he says that, he tells the Corinthian church, your enthusiasm will move others to action. So when we are generous, when we're overflowing with joy, it helps other people to be generous, other people to overflow with joy, other people to say, what on earth do you have that I don't have? So they want to know Jesus. We've got the privilege of moving others to action. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 11, what do we gain? We gain more and more people that wants to praise God. We're filling heaven up. We're making heaven a more crowded place because as people meet Jesus, instead of dying here on earth and, and, and spending an eternity without God, they get to spend eternity in His presence. We gain, we don't lose and that's why Paul is encouraging people to be good at giving. He's not just telling them, give. He said, like, I want you to be good. Here in verse 7, what this says, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, you're good speakers, you can all be on stage, he says. In knowledge, you're so smart, you all have degrees. In complete earnestness and in love, you love each other so much. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. So it's basically telling them this, you're doing everything so well except for one thing, and that's giving. 
And often when we think about our relationship with Jesus, when we think about our relationship with the church, when we think about following in the footsteps of Jesus, I, I feel like I should stop sinning. I should be a good person. I should read my Bible. I should go to church. Maybe I should serve. Maybe I should go to a community group because I kind of know that's important. Those are the things we think about. We never think about our money. Because it's like your money is just as important. And Paul is telling them, I want you to excel at this. I don't just want you to be good. I want you to be excellent at generosity. You see, because we cannot follow Jesus only in certain areas of our lives. We cannot just follow him where it's comfortable. We need to follow him in every area of our life, also the places where it's uncomfortable. Words without actions are meaningless. James, the brother of Jesus, in James 2 verse 17 said, Faith, if it does not result in action, is dead. We cannot say we follow Jesus, but we don't practically live it out. We need to do it. In verse 10 and 11, Paul tells the church in Corinth, Now finish the work. Your willingness should be matched by completion. You can't just say something. You can't just say, I'm following Jesus, and where it works, I do it, and the rest I kind of leave. It's like there should be a line where our actions follow our belief. And therefore, he says, generosity is a skill we should grow and excel in. There's so much to benefit from it. There's so much difference we can make in the world in our limited time on earth. There's so much lives we can change. He says, you need to grow in this skill. When I bought that ring for Yolandi, as much as I'm a saver, there wasn't one moment that I sulked about the money I lost, the money I had to give away. My heart cared so deeply for her that the only thing I could imagine was what I'm, the only thing I could think of was what I was gaining, the love of my life. That's the flow of money, the healthy flow, where my heart is so filled with love and joy that I want to give. I'm not thinking about what I'm losing, but I'm thinking about what I'm gaining. Generosity has its natural flow. It flows from a heart that's so radically been changed by Jesus that it gets excited to share and expand the life change that Jesus brought to me in any way I can possibly do it. So if you're here today and you're like, I'm a person who doesn't want to hear the F word. I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with giving. I hate to give. I'm not generous. What can you do? Stop giving now. We're a church plant. We need the money. We're not close to budget. But I want to tell you, if you're giving grudgingly, if you're giving with a heavy heart, don't give. God's like, I don't want that. But don't stop giving forever. Stop giving and take your first step of finding Jesus. And once you've found Him and once He's transformed your life and you realize how much He's given for you, then you can start giving again with a cheerful heart. And then Paul says, then God will look at your gift and he will accept it. Let's pray. Jesus, 
We can be so selfish, you know that. That's part of the reason why you died for me. Because I struggled to be generous. I struggled to share. I struggled to take care of others. I struggled to give. But I don't want that to be my life. I don't want to go through this life and and look back at everything I've gained in financial terms, but then realize that I've lost so much in the process. I want to go through life, God, and I want to make a difference. I want my life to mean something. I want to live on purpose. I want to see people meeting Jesus. I want to see people changing. I want to help people living in poverty. I want to make a difference. And I pray that you would change my heart. I pray that you will accept my gift, and every time when I give, that I will overflow with joy, that you will accept my gift, and that you will bless it so that I can continue to bless others. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.